welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast where we discuss Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. I am your host for today, Karen. We are continuing our discussion of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an or Chang'an Shuar Shichen. In episode five, things start to get a little bit more complicated with many different factions and storylines entering the fray of battle. I do think that it is here where people start to get a little lost, so we'll do our best to clarify what's going on in the story. Furthermore, today's episode will be more plot-driven, finally, So instead of the heavy focus on history we've had for the last episode, we will be able to return to our normal plot recap, then history discussion episode format. As always, this podcast episode is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter or else leave comments on our website either by leaving comments on the transcript episodes themselves or else you can post new topics on our forum. In episode five, there are, I would say, 3.5 main storylines happening in this episode to start for our half storyline. And I call it half because it's only a quick snippet right now. We'll see more of this in future episodes. The mysterious woman from the prior episode is seen in a different outfit. She has removed her red robes and is now donned in a blue outfit with a decently elaborate headdress. As an aside, I might say this every time I see her on screen, I personally think she's gorgeous. And it is here we meet Longbo, this mysterious Longbo for the first time, played by Zhou Yiwei. I'll be honest, I uh, am a little bit confused about Zhou Yiwei in terms of how handsome he is, and he himself is confusing in this first scene since the woman, Yu Chang, is rather handsy with him, only for him to turn around, choke her neck, and remind her menacingly that she has worn a woman's clothing for too long. She's almost forgotten who she actually is. Clearly, he is displeased with what has transpired with her earlier that day, with her trying to steal this map of Chang'an. But at least we see that outside of the wolf squad, there is another force at play here. We've been focused on the wolf squad for quite a few episodes now, but we see this other character coming in. We now cut back to Jing Si. A quick reminder that in the last episode, Zhang Xiaojing was called back to Jing Si by He Zhizheng in order to avoid further conflict in Huai Yuanfang. But the tides have turned against them, with He Zhizheng being told by the emperor himself, no less, that he has been relieved of his duty. Li Bi and Zhang Xiaojing have only been given an additional two hours or yi ge shi chen to investigate the case further and figure out what's going on with the wolf squad. Luckily, Yao Zhuneng on the ground was able to discover a token of sorts, or placard, hidden in Longbo's residence, which breathes new sign of life into the investigation. 
I do also love this scene because we see all of the people who wanted to take over Ting Anzi, the generals or commanders, just sit quietly on the side while everyone else is bustling around them. The time now, noon. Back at Ting Anzi, Xu Bin explains to Li Bi that this token or placard that they have found means Longbo must be a regular customer at a brothel in Pingkangfa. Only regulars are given this type of token by one of the ladies in Pingkangfa. If they find the woman, they might get more leads on Longbo. Li Bi at first is like, okay, then just search for the name of this woman. But Zhang Xiaojing pipes in that none of the information in Ping Kang Fang they have is accurate. The ladies all have fake names or whatnot, and we will see this explanation a little bit further later on. There's only one person they can turn to for this information, and Zhang Xiaojing is clearly not excited to see this person. With that, Li Bi provides Zhang Xiaojing with a fast horse, and Zhang Xiaojing gallops off to procure this information. This is where our first storyline occurs. We follow Zhang Xiaojing. Outside, though, another group of people are closely monitoring Zhang Xiaojing's movements, and that is the members of the Xionghuo Bang. The English translation I see on YouTube says Blaze Gang, which I think is fine. The direct English translation of Xionghuobang is Bear Fire Gang, so Blaze Gang is eh, close enough. It almost reminds me of Smokey the Bear for this gang name, but that's just me in trying to translate directly English or Chinese into English. Blaze Gang is fine, and that is what I'll use. These guys want to take revenge against Zhang Xiaojing, who we learn killed 34 members of the gang. This act ultimately landed Zhang Xiaojing in prison on death row. Our second storyline is related to Tan Qi's report. She explains to Li Bi about her most recent discovery. The fragrance left over from their now dead lead, or spy Ying Nu, who we will never see in the drama, is said to be owned by a young woman, Wen Ran, who is the only person in Chang'an that is able to create such a potent and long-lasting fragrance. However, interestingly, this young woman was called away by the general Wang Zhongsi's daughter, Wang Yunxiu. Let's follow this thread for a bit because this episode does get a little overly complicated with the cuts back and forth between various storylines to add tension, which after watching this episode multiple times, I'm like, I don't think it was fully necessary but sure, it was a directorial choice to add to that tension. First off, I wanted to point out that Wenzhan, I love the name, Wen itself means to smell. So the fact that they own a fragrance store or she owns a fragrance store and is a master at crafting fragrances is rather fitting. And number two, for those of you who don't know, Wenran's actress is the same one as the oldest sister, or the story of Minglan. The actress Wang Hezhun has been known to disappear in various roles, and so I was definitely surprised to see her as Wenran after seeing her in Zhufo because I definitely did not connect them the first 20 times I watched both dramas. Let's follow Wenran's story. 
we see that she and Wang Yunxiu are walking on the streets. Interestingly, both women are armed, though also followed by a gaggle of Wang Yunxiu's bodyguards. I really don't like Wang Yunxiu as a character, and I often fast forward her scene since she is a spoiled brat, always using her father as a threat to get her way. These two ladies are on a mission to find evidence of the Blaze Gang selling military secrets. Wang Yunxiu is hoping to use this as a present for her father, after finding the discovery, of course. Wen Ran is hoping to enact revenge for her father, who was killed by members of the Blaze Gang. This girl definitely has more than meets the eye, though, because she not only is quote-unquote friendly with the likes of Wang Yunxiu, but as we heard earlier, she's also connected to the death of Li Bi's spy, Ying Nu. She also continues to mention a person called En Gong, which means savior or someone who she has gratitude for in her discussion of her deceased father with uh, relation to the Blaze Gang. So this En Gong is quite interesting that she never uses the guy's name, but we know that he exists. As they're walking, though, where does Wen Ran lead this group to? The insignia on the side of the door marks that this is not connected to the Blaze Gang at all, but is a sign that we have seen before. It is of the Wolf Squad instead. The unprepared group of two women and three bodyguards enter the premises guard up, but they are absolutely no match for the threat that is inside. In the dark corridors of the building, the bodyguards are hacked to death in a surprise attack, leaving just the two ladies left to face the group of wolf squad members who surround them instantly. They are evidently no match for these wolf squad members. Our old friend Cao Poyan in particular is there to greet these unwanted intruders. Let's turn back to our first storyline then, after we see this storyline of these two ladies in a standstill. Zhang Xiaojing wants to cross the city over to Ping Kangfang, where all the brothels are, but the Blaze Gang is hot on his tail. They chase him through the streets, but he doesn't fight back because as Feng Dalun mentioned earlier, and he is a member of court, Zhang Xiaojing has more urgent matters to attend to and doesn't have the energy to fight back against the Blaze Gang. Zhang Xiaojing is chased through the streets by these gang members and only narrowly escapes through the massive crowds after running into Yao Runeng. Not only that, but we see many individuals dressed in black quickly greet Zhang Xiaojing and then start creating a human barrier behind him in order to protect Zhang Xiaojing. These men are Bu Liang Ren, people who used to report to Zhang Xiaojing when he was the Bu Liang Shuai before entering prison. Yet somehow, through all of this tenseness, Yao Runeng still manages to crack me up. Zhang Xiaojing comments that he thinks Yao Runeng is rather old, and Yao Runeng immediately starts freaking out, lamenting how Li Bi forces them to work overnight constantly, and the implication there is that he must have, or Li Bi must have caused him, Yao Runeng, to age from all of these long nights. 
But for those of you who have watched the drama, this scene is of note, at least for me, that while Yao Zhongneng is jokingly asking Zhang Xiaojing to elaborate a little more about exactly why he killed all of those people in the Blaze Gang, Zhang Xiaojing is quick to pick up on the fact that Yao Zhongneng might be investigating him or at least gathering more intel. Yao Runeng only responds with a harmless reason as to why he's interested, but I still find Zhang Xiaojing's spidey senses going off at this point rather interesting. And these scenes are not exactly how it goes down in the book at all. Yao Runeng doesn't really get separated from Zhang Xiaojing that much in the book, at this point at least. But... Poor Yao Runeng, he continues his hilarious streak because after following Zhang Xiaojing finally into Pingkang Fang, he is relegated to an assistant perfuming the beautiful prostitute Li Xiangxiang that the two visit in order to procure information about the token. His expression <laughs> when hearing that this Li Xiangxiang cried for half a day after believing that she might never be able to see Zhang Xiaojing again is priceless. He's like, uh, Zhang Xiaojing, how do you know this beautiful woman and why do you know her? <laughs> However, despite her attempts at seduction towards Zhang Xiaojing, he is all business and no play whatsoever. He tries to ask her for information about the woman who owns the token, but she says she doesn't know either. Only Ge Lao is the answer. Zhang Xiaojing is not pleased to hear this information or hear this news, but he has no other choice. He gruffly asks for keys and is directed by a young man called Xiao Yi alongside Yao Runeng to find this fear-inducing Ge La, whom we'll meet in the next episode. Let me take a pause right here uh, before we go on to the third main storyline. This Li Xiangxiang is only here for a hot second, maybe like less than five minutes, but she is played by Gao Ye. Gao Ye had the breakout role as Da Sao in the drama Kuang Biao or Knockout earlier this year. But when she was cast in this role as Li Xiangxiang, she was just another little known working actress in the business. And there are two parts of the scene that I really like. Number one is that Li Xiangxiang says, you never know where the eyes and ears are in Ping Kang Fang that might be reporting to Yo Xiang or the right chancellor. At this moment, the camera turns very quickly and briefly to Yao Runeng as if to implicate him. Zhang Xiaojing doesn't actually really see this and maybe dismisses this because, I mean, Yao Runeng has kind of been clueless for the past Four episodes. How could it be him? But hmm, why did that camera shift to that person? My first reaction for this scene, the five, six times I saw it, was that she might have been talking about herself. But with this camera switch or camera pan, that might not be true. It is such a tiny detail and I might be reading way too much into it, but I liked that it was there. I also do like Zhang Xiaojing's parting words. He tells her to have Xiao Yi, the man who enters the room to take them to see Ge Lao, fix the windowsill because it's loose. He says that she likes to lean on that sill and it's not safe. Those gruff lines I think were so touching because 
probably it is one of the few instances where Li Xiangxiang actually feels like somebody cares for her safety. And we understand why she is willing to make a uh, court official of the fourth rank wait while she sees Zhang Xiaojing and Yao Runeng. We will see more of this in the next episode. In the third storyline for today's episode is Li Bi's actions after he splits from Zhang Xiaojing. He first goes to the secret room to meet the crown prince once again. There, he also meets two court ministers clearly in league with the crown prince. Both are chastising Li Bi's failure today at Jinglanzi and also voicing their displeasure that He Zhizheng has been unceremoniously forced from the capital on this special day. Li Bi recognizes the importance of having He Zhizheng at least attend the Lantern Festival banquet tonight, but the person who controls the invite list is the right chancellor himself. No way would he want He Zhizheng at the banquet. Li Bi wants to make amends, and in front of the crown prince, he requests that he has to be allowed to do things his own way, without rules. Very reminiscent of what Zhang Xiaojing requested of Li Bi earlier. Only with flexibility and the ability to act rashly can they, both Zhang Xiaojing and Li Bi separately, achieve their goals. Here, I'm seeing that the two men, Li Bi and Zhang Xiaojing, are starting to rub off on each other. Li Bi, in particular, is learning that there is a whole other world out there thanks to the knowledge Zhang Xiaojing has shared in their brief interactions together, and that maybe taking a leaf out of Zhang Xiaojing's book will prove useful in achieving his means. So what does Li Bi do next? He goes straight to the source of power. He goes to the manner of the right chancellor. He wants to speak to the right chancellor himself to request that He Zhizheng get a spot at the banquet tonight. That closes out today's plot recap. Next episode, we'll meet this mysterious Gulao in one of the most riveting and thrilling episodes in the first third of the drama, at least for me. Now let's turn to some history. Because we finally meet Wang Yunxiu, I think it's time to introduce her and her father. In the drama, her father's name is Wang Zongsi. His historical counterpart in history is Wang Zhongsi. Different characters, very similar sounding words. He is a famed Tang Dynasty general who lived from 705 AD to 749 AD. Originally named Wang Xun, he came from an established family in the capital. After his father died in battle, he was semi-raised by the emperor, Tang Xuanzong himself, and was friendly with the prince of Zhong Li Heng, our current crown prince. Starting in 730 AD, he started his military career. He was a skilled commander and successfully pushed back the Tibetan Empire, or Tu Bo, and then took over as Longyou Jiedu Shi, or the regional military commander of Longyou. This piece of information will prove important in the drama. Wang Zhongsi had many successful military campaigns to the west of China. 
fighting the likes of the Khitan and ultimately causing the death of the Ozmus Kagan, the last penultimate Kagan of the second Turkic Khaganate, which resulted in its collapse, among many other military successes. With all of his military exploits and successes came jealousy at court. In history, Li Linfu, the right chancellor, or Lin Jiulong in this drama, grew jealous of his power and fame, believing that Wang Zhongsi would return to the capital and vie for the title of chancellor as well. Because of this jealousy, the general Wang Zhongsi was framed for heralding the crown prince Li Heng as the new emperor. This triggered the emperor at the time, Tang Xuanzong, the emperor in our drama, who almost wanted to kill Wang Zhongsi in 747, so three years after the events of this drama. Only because of his subordinate's pleas was Wang Zhongsi only demoted to Hanyang Taishou instead of killed. Wang Zhongsi died two years later in 749, five years after the events of this drama at the age of 45. Outside of all of these exploits, however, it is documented that he also did predict that An Lu Shan would cause trouble to the Tang Empire. And of course, this proved to be true. We don't see Wang Zhongzi in the drama, but he is always around, mentioned in the background. As for Wang Yunxiu, I'm a little surprised they didn't change her name in the drama. She is Wang Zhongzi's daughter born in 725 AD and died in 777 AD. As with most women in history, her story is connected to men, her father and her husband, whom we'll see in the drama. Because of her father, she is indeed known for being a spoiled and arrogant young woman, but she loved her husband dearly. She married Yuanzai, a poor scholar who went on to become a chancellor at court. When they first married, though, Yuanzai had no choice but to marry into the Wang family because he was poor himself. However, that proved unbearable because of how poorly the Wang family treated him, so he decided to leave. His wife, Wang Yunxiu, wrote a poem called Tong Fu You Qin to show her desire to leave the riches of her family behind to live a life of poverty with her husband. They went to Chang'an, where Yuanzai quickly earned the trust of the emperor and ultimately became chancellor himself. However, Yuanzai relished in his powerful life and became extremely corrupt later in life. We will discuss more about their fates when we meet Yuanzai in the drama. This pair is probably one of the most fengzi in the drama and certainly my least favorite, but we will see more of that in future episodes. Moving on, there were two officials that were sitting with the crown prince Li Hung in their secret meeting room when Li Bi stopped by. These two were Wei Jian and Huang Pu Wei Ming. For now, all we have to know is that these two people in history had varying connections to the real historical crown prince. Wei Jian's younger sister is actually the crown prince's wife, and Wei Jian was a close friend of Huang Pu Wei Ming. Thus, it makes sense why they're part of the crown prince's inner circle. Both were subsequently demoted from the capital for being too closely allied with the crown prince. Both were ahem, exposed by the right chancellor for supporting Li Hung in seizing imperial power and usurping the throne. 
You see the pattern here with the right chancellor uh, trying to get rid of anyone and everyone he didn't like that supported Li Hung. Hmm. Both of these individuals ultimately met gruesome ends in the next two to three years in history. Now, outside of these individuals, let's chat about this red light district, Ping Kang Fang. It is located in the eastern half of Chang'an on the northern part or in Wanyan County, which is why Zhang Xiaoding's Bu Liangren were able to step in to protect him since he used to cover that county. Ping Kang Fang houses the biggest brothels in the city and is a lively place for earthly pleasures. The distinction between the different ladies and their living locations in the Fang that Li Xiangxiang described in the drama is more or less historically accurate in that different ladies serve different types of clients. Many of the women were extremely skilled in different talents, whether it's musical instruments, dancing, or singing, among others. What we call in Chinese is that they were all qin qi shu hua, yang yang jing tong, or they knew how to dance, play musical instruments, play go, and also paint. These ladies were actually trained after entering the fang to better serve their clients. The clients who frequented Ping Kang Fang can come from all walks of life, but of course, many of these ladies served the powerful and wealthy in Chang'an. This place has several stories written about it, whether it's love stories or poems or prose, because of how many people love to go to Ping Kang Fang, not only, of course, for their biological needs, but for their emotional needs as well. And you could probably include intellectual needs in that category. When doing research on Ping Kang Fang, there are always mentions of how it was interconnected with politics at court. And that makes a lot of sense because of all of the politically connected clientele that would visit the ladies in Ping Kang Fang. And we have a prime example of the right chancellor having his manor uh, located right here. It's a great place to get intel and information. Kathy says that uh, she feels like we're in Assassin's Creed, the video game right now, where there's different factions that either aid or turn against our main character. And we also turn to our ladies in brothels for help. So I feel like Ubisoft, if you are looking for a great story to rival uh, that of Ezio's storyline, why not look at Chang'an Shuashishin or the Tang Dynasty? There is so much that you could use as a story fodder for that video game for a new franchise, in my opinion. That was a total aside. I can't imagine too many of our listeners play Assassin's Creed like we do um, and also watch Chinese dramas. If you do, let us know. But that is it for today's podcast episode. I am super excited for the next episode uh, because that's where we meet Gulao. And it is a little bit gruesome, very tense, but I really enjoyed this next episode. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Friendly reminder to check out our sponsor, Jubao TV, if you are in the States and are looking for Chinese dramas to watch. They have Chinese dramas and movies on their platform with English subtitles all for free. You can access them online or TV. Um, they have launched on Plex and Sling TV. And again, it is all for free. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next podcast episode.